stop and have time for your presence. Hallelujah. The Lord is good. Amen. Well, hallelujah. Free to worship. Amen. Free to worship. That's what these meetings are all about. Yesterday we had a great time talking about the creation of, of man and that God had given us dominion. So tonight we want to take just a few minutes and if you have your Bibles, we'll pull those out and we'll share a few things and then uh, we'll uh, take a moment toward the end and, and receive an offering for the ministry. But hallelujah, free to worship. You see, that's what, uh, what God really wanted was a partner to not only worship him, but to have fellowship with him. That's what God wanted to do. If you have your Bible, uh, let's turn to Genesis chapter 3. And we're going to talk a little bit tonight about uh, what it is to, to be disobedient and the consequences of that disobedience. And sometimes, uh, you know, disobedience, it takes on different forms. And uh, there are results, there are consequences to disobedience. Um, you know, I'm not a bad news preacher, I'm a good news preacher. But I also remember uh, growing up in my house, my dad was, uh, had been in the military and an athlete and different things, and so he liked things done a certain way. Anybody have a father like that? Uh, anybody have a dad like that? I had one that uh, uh, because he was in the military, the answers were yes, sir, no, sir, no excuse. That's about it. And uh, if you didn't do what he asked, there was usually one warning. And after that, there were no more warnings. Whatever he said was going to be the consequence, that's the way it was. And, and probably in today's standards, it would be called abuse. <laughs> Anybody know what I'm talking about? But... Uh, uh, but my dad also uh, showed great love. Uh, my grandfather, which is also, I'm, I'm, I'm the namesake, uh, Joe Cruz III. So my grandfather, Joe Cruz, uh, he was also a minister of the gospel. And he passed away at the age of 63. And the only time, and my grandfather was uh, one of those kind of guys that uh, mowed the yard in his khaki pants and his white shirt. Uh, I don't think he owned a, a anything denim at all. And so uh, you would see, you know, Paul Paul Cruz out there in his khaki pants mowing the yard. And it was kind of, it's kind of funny. But it was just that, that's the way he was a shoe salesman before he gave his heart to Christ. So he was just one of those, he parted his hair down the middle and, and it was just, he was one of those stoic looking guys, you know. But my dad was uh, a little bit different in the fact that because my dad played uh, uh, college football and then played football in the service and all that and then was also a part of the uh, 
Korean conflict and the fact that he flew the first uh, jets uh, and those that were the prototypes, uh, the F-80s that didn't have a, an ejection seat and they didn't have a Bendix control, so you had to mix the fuel in the plane. And so there was no computer at all. You actually had to fly the plane. And so uh, then he became a part of the program, uh, the F-86s, that he would begin to deliver those to a lot of the men on the front lines and stuff. And uh, his particular one that he was assigned was 0003. So his was the third one off the assembly line that he flew. And uh, uh, you had to dive it through the sound barrier. It would not fly straight flat and go through the sound barrier. But he was also a part of the uh, atomic uh, program that was going on also during the Korean conflict. And so uh, he was one of those that was taught how to toss an atomic weapon. Now think about that. So you had to fly, and when you got to a certain point where you wanted to toss that weapon to that target, then they would start, and he would get to the place where they said they wanted it, and then he had to start up like this, and as he did, he would toss that atomic weapon, and it would go up, and it would start its trajectory on up and over, and as it did, he would turn and fly back the other way, and by the time he got way far away, then it would hit its target, and he was in a safe place. So, very unique individual, <laughs> very unique time in history. But I say that, that my dad, because he, he was in a position that, that everything was so precise, any mistake you made could cost you your life. And so my daddy brought a lot of that to me. If I mowed the yard a certain way and it was crooked, he would have me remold the yard because he wanted the lines straight, like what you see on the baseball diamond. That's the way he liked it. And uh, Zeke, the uh, old cars like you have out there with the fender skirts and all that kind of stuff, you know, uh, if I didn't wash the car the right way and get under the fender skirts, he'd make me take it off and he'd wet it down and I had to wash it again. So, you know, whenever I got to studying uh, free to worship and what the Lord dropped in my heart about uh, these things, uh, it reminded me of my father because, you know, sin has consequences. Uh, and it really does. And disobedience has consequences. Uh, you know, there was no go stand in the corner, uh, any of that type of situation. There was no timeout. Uh there were consequences to your, uh, to your actions. So I'm going to share some things tonight, and, and I want you to hear my heart and, and when I talk about these things. But we're going to talk tonight about the fall of mankind. What took place when man ate of the tree, and what took place whenever uh, that sin took place? If you have your Bibles, let's look there in Genesis chapter 3. And the Bible says in verse 1, Now the serpent was more subtle and crafty than any living creature of the field, which the Lord God had made. And he, Satan, said to the woman, Can, I re can it really be that God has said? Can it really be that God has said, You shall not eat from every tree of the garden? The enemy came and he took the word and he 
twisted it just a little bit. The devil is very sly. He is very cunning, subtle, and crafty. And if we don't know the Word of God, then we are subject. We are, we are in a vulnerable place to where the enemy can take us out. Can it really be said? Do you really think God really said? And in my household, it was, yeah, he did, and don't cross that line. There were black and whites. There were a few gray areas, compromise you would call it. But if you even cross the, 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 the area of compromise, then you're, black in, you're back in that black area over here, and there are going to be some serious consequences. And, and so, and the woman said to the serpent, we may eat the fruit of the trees of this garden except the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden. And God has said, you shall not eat of it, neither shall you touch it. Wow. Not just go near it, but don't, don't, don't touch it, don't go near it, nothing, lest you die. But the servant said to the woman, you're not really going to die. For God knows that in the day that you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God. Knowing the difference between good and evil, blessing and calamity. And then when the woman saw that the tree was good and suitable and pleasant for food, and that it was delightful to look at, and the tree to be desired, in order to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she gave some also to her husband, and he ate. Look at this, verse 7. Then the eyes of them both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves apron-like girdles. And they heard, listen, this is what's so horrible. And they heard the sound. You see, what people don't know is there is a sound of heaven. Come on, somebody. There is the sound of heaven. She heard the sound. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. The first thing we understand is in the midst of disobedience, there, there are consequences to that disobedience. The second thing I want you to see is, is that this disobedience brings a separation, and that separation is the presence People wonder why in the world they don't feel the anointing. They don't feel the presence of God. And 99 times out of 100, it's the fact that they have allowed something in their life to bring a separation. And it's not always sin. It's not always something that is of the five or six cardinal things that we look at as the big five or whatever they might be in, in someone's life. They can be little bitty things. And they can be things that really are important to us. But nevertheless, we allow this separation to come into our life. How many of you know that God knew where Adam and Eve were? Huh? Come on. They knew where he was. They knew where he was. 
But the first thing that happens whenever we allow something to come into our life to bring separation in our relationship to God, the first thing we do is we hide. It's amazing how young our children learn this. You start looking for them, they go, okay, where's Johnny? I don't know, but something's up because he's hiding. Come on, somebody. You know, but here's the thing. Adults do the same thing. Yes, we do. You know, we may have, and it can be something so simple and so little. And, and the first thing that happens whenever, well, well, I'll get to those in just a minute. But look at this. And, and there in Genesis chapter 3, verse 9, but the Lord God called out to Adam and he said to him, where are you? God was allowing Adam to make a response, but he was hiding. God knew where he was, and God knew what he had done. God knew that something had happened. God's plan was never for all of us to learn life by the hard knocks. Never, ever. That was not God's plan. God's plan was for us to live in relationship in the garden. But instead, the enemy came, and their eyes, their desires. See, the funny thing is, is God says he'll give us the desires of our heart. But those desires have to be his heart. And everything that he's about. Verse 10, he said, I heard the sound of you walking in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. Instantly, they were not in unity. Instantly, there was a division that had taken place. The first division was not between husband and wife. The first division was between God's creation and their creator. That's where the first division came. And everything else followed after that. You keep your relationship with your maker the way it ought to be, and your family, your relationships with your husband and your wife, that'll all fall into place. Knowing what to do to raise our children, that will all fall into place. But it begins with intimacy and union with Almighty God, keeping that relationship the way God intended for it to be. Adam said, I heard the sound of you walking in the garden. You see, another thing about Adam and Eve, because before the the sin of Adam, they were able to look at God face to face. Here's another little tidbit you could just throw out there if you would like. Yes, they had a physical body, but I believe somehow it had a glorified uh, 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 part of it. It had a look. They could look at God. They could commune. They could look in God's eyes. They had fellowship. They walked with Him in the cool of the day. There was no separation. None. They had no reason to hide anything. But somewhere when they took a bite of that apple or whatever it is, a bite of that tree of the knowledge of good and evil, instantly that body had a change. Instantly that body began to physically die. 
the molecular makeup, whatever, however, that body instantly changed. And instantly they knew they were different. And it would not ever be the same. Adam and Eve were instantly divided. And what did they do? The first thing they did that everyone does whenever we find ourselves in that place of, of disobedience or whatever it is, we want to pass and, and, and say it's somebody else's fault. We don't want to take responsibility for our own actions. That's where we are today as a society. It's the police's fault. Come on, somebody. It's always somebody else's fault. It's my parents' fault. It, it's our culture. It, it's, it's, my, it's, it's, it, it's, it's my ethnic group. No, it's your fault. It's my fault. And I have to take responsibility for my actions. If I'm going to have a... If I'm going to have a relationship, an intimate relationship with my God, I have to take responsibility. God told Adam, just like I shared yesterday, God said, you have a responsibility to your family. To tend, guard, and keep. And there's a lot of, of, of what people say about what happened with Adam and Eve and, and the reason Adam ate is because he didn't want to be separated from Eve or whatever. I mean, there's all kind of stuff. You can, your mind can race for days. But the bottom line is, is they both disobeyed God. And, and because of their sin, it had an eternal effect. It did. Without the redemption of the Lamb, we would all be cursed to die. And never have an intimate relationship with God from that point on. Verse 11 here in chapter 3, the Bible says, and he said, who told you that you were naked? And then God asked the big question, have you eaten the tree of which I commanded you that you should not eat? How many of you know God knew they had eaten of that tree? <laughs> who told you? Did you? And what does the man say? Look at verse 12. The woman whom you gave me, she gave me the fruit, and I ate it. And then the Lord looks at the woman. What is this that you have done? And the woman said, the serpent beguiled me, cheated, outwitted, and deceived me, and I ate. Adam and Eve began to give excuses for why they had come out of the presence of God. Let me ask you tonight. What's your excuse? Is it really that important? Is it really that important that you would cast all of your eternity on that thing? That that is the most important thing, that it would be more important than you living in the presence of Almighty God, the one who made you. Adam and Eve gave excuses for why they had come out of the presence. And today, people are no different. They cannot worship because of separation 
And then I've just got a few here. Guilt. Guilt is a horrible thing. Guilt is a horrible thing. I believe guilt has stolen more from people than even a thief that comes in and takes your most valuable possessions. Guilt. Guilt. Well, if I had done this or if I had done that, if I'd made this decision instead of that, guilt. Well, if I hadn't done that particular thing, then this wouldn't have happened. How about this? Condemnation. People are condemned today. Hidden sins. The one thing that this pandemic has done has taken more lives than COVID itself. It's locked people down in their homes and they do things in their house thinking nobody can see it. Let me just tell you, our Heavenly Father, He keeps great records. He's the one we cannot hide from. Goes all the way back to the garden. Adam, where are you? Well, what I do behind my doors is my stuff. Okay. How deep you want to go with that? Guess who else is watching? When we were locked down there in Hawaii, I had grown women come to my wife and I going, my husband don't want to come to church because of COVID. But while he's been at home, he's now locked into pornography. And he's really condemned, guilty. He don't want to come to church. It's stolen his love for the presence of Almighty God. How about this? Offenses. I know so many people don't go to church anymore because they got offended somehow. Someone offended them. Somebody at church said something the wrong way. Parked in their parking spot. (laughs) Sat in their chair. No, I'm serious. You know, or something less than that. How about this, anger? I believe more sickness is caused from bitterness and anger than anything else. You just begin to look from the moment Adam and Eve ate of that tree, how the lifespan of man began to be cut in half and in half and in half and in half. And in half, bitterness, anger, resentment. The Bible says it'll call rottenness to our bones. Their relationship with God was affected. They were cut off. Listen to this. They were cut off from an open heaven. They were cut off from an open heaven. Now, thank God this story ends good. Now, you're going to have to come back. Because tomorrow night is the restoration of man. It starts to get really good. But you have to understand. You have to understand that it it got to be pretty rough before it got to be good. But the Bible says their relationship with God, it was affected. They were cut off from an open heaven. When you look at verse 15 here in chapter 3, it says, And I will put enmity between you and the woman, 
men, ladies and gentlemen, those of us that are married, the Bible says that because of the fall of Adam, that enmity between one another was thrown into this planet. That's why divorce is just as high in the church as it is in the world. Come on, somebody. It's just as high in, in Christian families as it is in the world. You know why? Because they allow enmity. They, they allow strife to come into the relationship. And the only way to keep that relationship the way it should be is we spend more time in the presence of God. I didn't say church. I said in the presence of God. That if you do not take time, you and your wife, you and your spouse, now you might say, well, I'm not married. That doesn't give you an out. I thank God for our, our precious daughter-in-laws. Vanessa, the one that's married to our oldest son, she told us that the year before she and Jody began to date, that the Lord told her, every Friday night is my night. She said, everybody else is going out on a date on Friday night or going to the club or whatever. She said, he, the Lord said, every Friday night is my night. And so she would be at home as a single lady, and she would set up candles in the house, and she would have a date night with Almighty God, spending time in the presence of God because she knew that God was going to bring her the right person and she was going to have her heart ready so she would, would know who he was. I mean, if a young single woman can know that, why can't those of us that God brought, who brought us together? Well, I have too many kids. I have a job. Yeah, you do. And yes, you do. But you also have, but you also have a responsibility. I didn't say they had too many kids. Did I? Okay. I didn't mean it like that. You have a job. Yes, you do. And you have children. Yes, you do. I have a son who has four boys. And they're all under the age of 11. So that's, and they're not too many. But my point is, is that we have responsibilities, but we also have a responsibility to our mate. That the only way we can keep that relationship strong is by spending time with one another. And allowing the presence of God to saturate that relationship. It's the only way it takes place. It's the only way that it survives. I mean that with all of my heart. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. I will bruise and tread your head underfoot. And you will lie in wait and bruise his heel. Now look at verse 16. And what he's saying is, is that the enemy, he's going to bruise his head. But that enemy is here to devour, to kill, to destroy. And outside the presence of God and knowing God's plan, the enemy <laughs> is more powerful because God gave him this dominion. God gave him the authority of this place. Now, tomorrow night, redemption. We begin to see how God gives that back to his people, back to his children, back to his creation. But at this point in time, it, but I will say this, even though it's been done and everything is under the blood, if you don't take rightful place and authority with that, it's like having a wonderful steak in the freezer, but if you don't take it out, 
and, and, and prepare it so that you can have it cooked and, and, and it be a blessing to you, it'll stay in that freezer and go bad. And there are a lot of people today that don't know what God has given them because they still operate as if they're under the old way of life. Because the power, power of the enemy is still here. And outside the blood of Jesus Christ as a believer, he is still very powerful. He said to the woman, verse 16, he said, I will greatly multiply your grief and your suffering in pregnancy and pangs of childbirth. With spasms and distress, you will bring forth children. You see, God had another plan. He had to have or you wouldn't have said this. That's why for each one of our kids, each one of our grandbabies coming, we always lay hands on our girls and we say, Lord, supernatural childbirth. Supernatural childbirth. Lord, they, it will be easy. It will be quick. And, Lord, they will be delivered whole and healthy. No struggles, no problems. Lord, we live in your kingdom. We're under your authority. Lord, they, are, they, they love your presence. So we declare these things because there is another side. Yet your desire and craving will be for your husband and he will rule over you. And to Adam he said, because you have listened and given heed to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, saying, you shall not eat of it. The ground is now under a curse because of you. In sorrow and toil shall you eat of the fruits of it all the days of your life. In other words, that's when I believe that God began to change the atmosphere of this earth. And that's whenever the earth began to change and then you would see drought and things like that. It became hard to make a living with the ground. Thorns, thistles shall it bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. You see, up until this point, God provided everything that Adam and Eve needed. Before the fall, they didn't have to till the ground. All they had to do was go out there and pick it. It was, there, it was already there. The, the consequences of sin. In the sweet, excuse me, in the sweat of your face shall you eat bread until you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken for dust, and you are, and to dust you shall return. And then this is a very, very powerful scripture. I want to get down to verse 22. We'll skip a couple of things here. But God then in just a moment, he drives Adam out of that garden. He's going to remove Adam from that place that God's set up for him. That place of God's presence. And from that point on, Adam would have to pursue God. But before the fall, God pursued man. Does God love us? Absolutely. Has He given us the blood? Absolutely. Is the Holy Spirit upon the earth? Absolutely. And he comes to every man and he quickens his heart. But there is a will, the same will that Adam and Eve used to disobey God. You and I have the privilege of choosing God. It's a choice. Will he pursue us? Absolutely. But there is also 
the Holy Spirit, when he comes and, and he touches our heart and our life, there is a faith response back to him. Adam and Eve didn't even have to think about that before the fall. Verse 22, and the Lord God said this, Behold, the man has become like one of us to know good and evil, blessing and calamity. And now lest he put forth his hand and take from the tree of life and eat of it and live forever. The translation of that is this. God said, I'm going to remove Adam. Why? Because God knew that before the foundation of the earth, that the lamb would be slain for the redemption of all mankind. He knew it. So what did he do? He removed Adam and Eve from that garden. And then the Bible says here, Therefore the Lord God sent him forth from the garden of Eden to till the ground, to start making a living for himself, to live with the consequences of his, his uh, responses and the things that he had done. Now he was going to have to pursue the presence of God. And if he didn't, it would destroy every relationship, his children, everything that would come after that particular thing took place and happened. He would have to work for everything that he ever did from that point on. So God drove out the man and he placed at the east of the Garden of Eden a cherubim and a flaming sword which turned every way to keep and to guard the way of the tree of life. And what God did was he knew that if he left Adam in that garden and Adam ate of the tree of life, actually at that moment in time in his fallen state, it would have been a tree of death. And he would live in that state. And there would never have been redemption for man. So what did God do? He separated him from that. And he stationed a cherubim, an angel, in front of that gate. He shut it and locked it. People say, where is the Garden of Eden? It will, it, you'd never be able to find it because it won't look like what we would think it would look like. It would be overgrown with thistles and thorns and everything else. Wherever the tree of life is, I believe that tree of life is actually in heaven. That's my personal thought. So that's why I say in this earthly realm where Adam and Eve were, they, there was no difference because they had communion with God in the heavenly realms wherever they needed to be. There, was no, there were no boundaries because they were truly like God. Because they were made in his image. They were his counterpart to have fellowship and communion. But because of that sin, things began to change. And God removed them from that garden. God removed them from the garden. Man, when he comes out from under the cloud, he walks away from the presence just like the children of Israel. Just like the children of Israel. When God began to set up temple worship, set up the tent of meeting and all those things, there was the 
cloud by day, and there was the fire by night. And as long as they followed the cloud, everything was fine. Everything was fine. But whenever they walked away from the cloud, they lost their authority, and they opened themselves up to this realm. And that's where we are today. Is not a whole lot of people. They go to church on Sunday, and they do their religious duty. But then they walk out of the church, and then they go back to the world, and they operate just like the world operates. And they wonder why they have no authority. They wonder why there is no power to defeat sickness and disease, to walk in divine health. And I believe for my, my life, for my, my wife's life, and for our children, we have done our best. We're on a very short leash. That's the best way I can say it. Because of what we do, because of what God has put in our hands to share. That as worshipers, I mean, we, we know how to fight. We do know how to fight. But I will say this, though, but I will say this, our fights aren't like what they used to be because we know the consequences of those responses. It's not the fact that, that, that I didn't get my way or she didn't get her way. It's the fact that when we do that, it hinders our ability to flow as one. And doing what we do, it's imperative that we flow together as one. We don't always do that. There are moments where we have our moments, but we know what to do. And now instead of getting to the point to where she goes to her room or I go to my room or whatever it is, at this point we go, what, what, where'd that come from? And then what we do is we grab each other's hand and we go, And then I go, okay, what, what were we fighting about? And you think we're kidding, but we're not. But it, it really is because then when unity comes, one can put a thousand to flight, two can put ten thousand to flight. That exactly. Praying in the Holy Ghost. And then what happens is this. She'll either go, you know what? If you really feel like that's the way we need to do it, then let's do it. Or I'll say, you know what? I think you're right. Let's go that way. Because we began to we began to pull from that heavenly realm. Because I want to tell you, there have been a time or two back in the early days. I tried to cast the devil out her one day. I laid my hand on her, I said, Come out of you. And then I really did. She took my hand and she said, I ain't got no devil. You get your... 
back in the early, early days. When I turned around, and she was gone. And she was sitting out in the car, and she was crying. And I walked out there, and I said, what are you doing? She said, well, I was going to leave, but I don't know where to go. <laughs> because her mother had told her, if you ever get upset at Joe, don't come to my house because you're not welcome in my house. I'm going to turn you right back around and send you back up to Joe, and you're going to work it out. It's not easy. It's not easy. But this is how you have to live. Our relationship to him is imperative. You have to have time in his presence, especially those of us that are husbands. Then we need to make sure we have time in the presence of the Lord with our wives. And then you make time with your kids because your kids need to see you on your face, praying, crying out to God for your relationships. And for your families, for your business, what it is you do. Because they know when money gets tight, because guess what happens? Friction comes. Stuff. I've seen more marriages broken over finances than anything else. That's where most of the fights come from. But if we get an agreement, and then it comes over, well, well I wanted to tithe. I wanted to do this, that, and the other. And, and you said, we didn't have it this month. Hello. I'm just telling you that when Adam and Eve crossed that line, the first thing they lost was that intimacy of being in the presence of God. And that's when everything began to go wrong. And God said, I'm going to protect you, but I'm going to separate you from this place. I will bring you your Redeemer, but there are going to be consequences until he comes. And you know all of the Old Testament. I mean, in the first family, there was murder. Didn't wait till the third generation. It happened in the first family. The effects of sin are horrible. They're horrible. When man comes out from under the cloud, when we come out from under the cloud of God, we open ourselves up for whatever the enemy wants to do. And no one is safe. You know, there's so many things I could share with you. You see, the problem is, is that I know pastors that had mega churches. And God gave them huge revelation even on prayer. And they wrote books. And churches went through those books, and they set up prayer meetings at 542 in the morning and 714 at night. But it didn't salvage their marriage because he didn't apply what God put in his heart. And it destroyed not only him but his family and thousands of families that watched what he did. I can give you, none of us are exempt. People want the glory. People want the joy. People want all of the, uh, the benefits of revival. They want to roll on the floor and be happy. But when you get off the floor, having been touched by heaven, and you get your healing, then we go back to our homes carrying this glory, and then we continue that intimate relationship every moment of every day. 
I sing all the time. When I'm on the golf course and I'm playing golf, Brother McCurdy, I used to play with Mr. Brother McCurdy and, and, and Brother Richard, and I'd be up there and I'd be putting a or I'd be, Richard, go, quit singing and quit praying in tongues. Oh, I said, what do you mean? He said, I don't know whether you're praying for me or against me. But, but that's, that's just the way I live. I sing all the time. It's just a part of who I am. It's a part of who I am. It should be a part of who you are. It should be an overflow. It should be an overflow of living under the cloud of God. We don't change the way we act or the way we talk when we walk outside these walls. We carry the same clay to wherever it is we go. When man comes out from under the cloud, he walks away from his inheritance and his authority. It's like taking, if your dad was a multimillionaire and it's taking all the money that he ever had stacked in the back of your car and just opening the door and just letting it fly out the window. When you allow the enemy to come and kill and steal and destroy. Hallelujah. Is it really worth it? Is it really worth it? The sin, those things that so easily beset us, the things that we allow the enemy to lie to us about, to take us from that time of being in worship with God on our own, not, not at church, but just by ourselves. Is it really that important to allow that guilt to hold you back and keep you at home? Or that offense. It's not worth it. It's not worth it because one moment in his presence changes everything. In one moment in his presence, when the fire of God touches, it's more than just a touch, it's a change. It's a change that comes in our lives. People say, you still with that laughing preacher? Yes. I am one of those laughing preachers. Are you one of those tongue talkers, carpet rolling? Yes. And I don't, and I don't even try to explain it. You know, you know, what hurts more than anything else is we all have family. I remember when our family started singing back in the 70s as I got out of high school. And we had family members that went to my mom and dad and said, are you sure you want to take those kids on the road? You're going to, they'll, you know, you're going to ruin their educational opportunities and da 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 Within 12 months, I'm standing on the platform. Baylor University, my fifth great uncle, Rufus, Rufus C. Burleson, founded it. I'm standing on the stage ministering to all of the students on one of their worship service days. And Dr. Doctor comes walking up to my dad and says, what are you going to do about those kids' education? And my dad looked at him and he said, 
you must have thought enough about us to invite us to come and stand on your stage and minister to your kids. I think they're getting an education. You see, people will come, and they will mock you. And they will try and pull you out from under the cloud. And they'll try to offend you. And Yes, you see a lot of things. I've seen abuse, every kind you can imagine. But it doesn't diminish the fact that the cloud is real. And the presence of God is real. And most people, they go to church and they leave the same way they came and they never feel one thing. They never have an encounter, an opportunity to have an encounter with the presence of Almighty God. Never, ever. They go through a religious ceremony and they think that's God. It's important. Every one of us have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. We do not have to live and die as Adam and Eve did. Under that curse of sin. Never knowing that. Can you imagine having lived in that realm? of knowing God and seeing them, and in one moment, all of that being erased. People ask me all the time, Pastor Joe, what do you think is the worst thing about hell? The flames, the fire, the blackness, the darkness? No, it's the separation of God. It's never being able to be in the presence of God, the absence of God, none. That's, that's hell. That is hell. For those of us that have known the touch and have known the presence of God, we should cherish it. I don't mess around on my wife because I can't. I'm not a bad-looking guy. I mean, I could, you know. But the point is, is that I cherish this relationship. It's the love of my life. I don't want to hurt her. If I even think I've hurt her. Who says I'm sorry the most? I do. Not because I'm the worst. It's just that it comes easier out of my mouth. But I love her. And this is the closest relationship on the earth to the relationship I have with my Heavenly Father. And then God places all of us in a family of relationships around the world that we get to share these moments and get in the presence of God in heaven fall. You know why? Because we're in agreement. There's unity. This is a, this is a small taste of what God was talking about in the garden. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. I pray this is a blessing to you because tomorrow it begins to change. 
So let me just ask you, Becky, if you'll uh, come back to the piano just for a moment. I just want you to just ask the Lord. You know, maybe there's something back in the day that maybe it was in another church or another relationship or something that happened in your home that you've held on to some things and it keeps you from really being free to worship. Maybe there was something that happened in the family, husband and wife. You see, it's, it's amazing. The Lord will forgive. But once trust is broken in a marriage, it's very difficult. Without the Holy Ghost, it, most of the time it's never redeemed. But I believe tonight, before we go, maybe there's someone here tonight. You'd say, Brother Joe, I've carried this thing long enough. And I want to leave it at the cross. I want to lay it down. Maybe it's guilt. You know, Pastor Rodney talks about ladies that had abortions and under the unction of the Holy Spirit, it's like they tell you that they were washed. They just someone standing like a water hose and washing them clean. And when everything was said and done, it was like that was happening to someone else wasn't really them anymore right here in Seattle Washington my wife and I were ministering at a church back in the early 2000s and there was a young girl that was 12 years old she was a street girl downtown Seattle and a businesswoman who worked in the building above her this girl slept every night in front of that building in a box 12 years old And this woman went down and she said, Sweetheart, would you like to come to my house and I'd like to let you take a bath and I want to buy you some new clothes. Would you let me do that for you? And then I want you to come with me and go to church. And the young girl said, Sure. So she took her home Got her all bathed and cleaned up. Got her some brand new clothes. And brought that young girl to our meetings. At New Hope Church. In Bellevue. Downtown Seattle. And when I gave the invitation on Sunday morning, this young girl. She was standing there. And the moment we started laying hands on people, she ran to the back and stood at the back wall against as far away from us as you could get. Sunday night, same thing. Monday night, Tuesday night, Wednesday night, Thursday night. Friday night was the last night, and my son Jody came, and he gave his testimony of how the fire of God touched him. And at the end of it, I said, son, give an invitation. And when he did... The altar filled with quite a few young people and adults. But that young girl came and stood in the line. And she gave her heart to Christ. 
And then I said, son, I want you to lay hands on everybody. She didn't run to the back. She lifted her hands and closed her eyes. And when Jody put his hands on her head, she fell under the power of the Holy Ghost. And that was her first week ever in church. She's laying on the floor. She's weeping. We pray for people. She's still on the floor. And the longer she laid there, then she began to laugh. Nobody touched her. Nobody told her, you know. But the people in the service were just, I mean, they were all over the place. Laughing, crying. So at the very end, I reached over to her and I just picked her up. And I said, sweetheart, I said, are you okay? She said, I'm great. I said, can you tell me what happened to you tonight? She said, yep. She said, you know, all week long you would call people up there to pray for them. And she said, I scared to death. She said, I go all the way, as far away as I could get from y'all. But she said, when your son shared his testimony, she said, I, I can't explain it. She said, when he gave the invitation, it was like something in me pulled me to the front. She said, it really felt like somebody was pushing me from behind. But she said, it was like something was pulling me to the front. I said, that's awesome. I said, well, what happened while you were on the floor? She said, it was like a man in a white robe was washing me, giving me a bath. And then he put a white robe around me and he stood me up and he picked me up in his arms and he held me. She said, you don't understand. She said, my folks dropped me off in this downtown when I was seven years old, drove away. She said, I've been on my own for the last five years. She said, I've done everything you can do just to live. She said, I've eaten out of the trash can. She said, men have abused me and shared stuff I won't share with you. But she said, when that lady asked me if I wanted a bath, she said, I wanted a bath so bad. I'd do anything just to get that back. We came back a year later. Might have been 18 months. When we came back, that same family was there. Now that young girl, she's 13, and she doesn't even look like herself. Her countenance is totally different. She's not hard, she's soft. But she was carrying a three-month-old baby with her, with that family. She had been adopted by the family, and now they were foster parents taking care of little girls that were not wanted, like she had been not wanted. God had totally redeemed that situation. The cloud. The cloud. You see, guilt could have kept her from the presence. But because of the presence, she was able to lay down her guilt. Because of the presence, she was able to lay down her hurt, her pain, the things that were holding her back. Resentment, anger. Can you imagine the anger of that young girl, how she felt about her mom and dad? 
Many of God's people have walked away from the presence because they got hurt. Because something happened. And just before we go home, I, I know it's, it's not real late. But is there anything here tonight that you'd say, Pastor Joe, before I go, I need to lay it at the foot of the cross. I need to lay it at the foot of the cross. It keeps me from pressing into the cloud. 